0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all of you uh, who are mothers. We do not have carnations to give to you this morning. I am deeply sorry about that. Um, But we do have um, a lot of gratitude and um, thankful hearts, no doubt. Uh, This morning I wore my fancy blue pants and painted my nails red in honor of my mother, In part, I was thinking this morning, this will embarrass her, but my mom taught me that you can be strong and smart and have red nails all at the same time. And um, for that, I am deeply thankful. Um, I watched her every morning as a kid growing up. Uh, She was the only female loan officer in our local bank. And so um, she would get ready in the mornings and um, spray her perfume and put on her boss lady clothes and, um, with her red toenails. And I remember watching her walk through wet grass, holding her coffee you know, in one hand and her purse in the other, just like a queen, you know, through the, with the heels on. And uh, this same woman I have also seen hunt skunks under our house with a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> And I kid you not, because my sister and I as teenagers were mortified to go to school smelling like skunks, because, you know, to be that kid from Arkansas who shows up at school smelling like a skunk is just, it's the worst. Um, And she would sit outside and hunt them with that shotgun, and one time she saw one of them running under the house back to their den, and she leapt up, jumped after that skunk, grabbed that sucker by the tail, I kid you not, threw it up in the air and shot it. <laughs> and I bet her toes were red <laughs> while she did it. And so, <laughs> just so, so thankful. <laughs> oh, for so many things. I'm also deeply reminded that um, of all the women for, of, for whom I owe a great debt, Some of them were mothers and some of them were not. Um, Two in particular of the women to whom I owe the greatest debt never had biological children of their own. And um, yet they are the heroes of my heart. They shaped me to become the woman who I am. And so it's on days like today that I'm always reminded that um, regardless of what happens, who we marry or don't marry, or kids we have or don't have, like we belong to a family, y'all. And we're all called to be like spiritual mothers and fathers. And um, we it takes a village, truly, all of us with our own stories, our own callings, um, to be the family of God, the body of Christ, and we are all shaping one another. And your story, just to say it to you, particularly if you are someone who is grieving because you did not have a mother, or because you cannot have children of your own, you need to just like hear somebody say today, one, we hold your grief with you, and also, um, your life matters, and is full, and is whole. You know? Like there are no lives in part. There are no half lives or missing bits of us. To be, I am so thankful, like that I know that had I never um, had children of my own, I would be no less the woman I am, you know? And the women of faith taught me that. I am thankful for them and to them. So for all of you, bless you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Um, We're going to read from Acts 7 which um, Sarah so graciously read for us um, because I did that sort of um, mini sermonette beforehand and because the text is an important story and I know what happens when we read. We kind of go into Bible zones sometimes and we just miss it in part while we're reading it. And So I'm going to read it again. And ask that this time we like hold the story in our imagination that we really try to imagine um, Paul who's a real person and imagine him standing in ancient Athens um, at the Areopagus and what that would be like to try to make this speech and just put your put your minds there. And so I'm going to read and then we'll pray and hear what the Lord might have to say to us. Uh, Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God, perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would help us hold in our own hearts and minds uh, this moment. And that you would, Holy Spirit, speak through it. That your word would be for us this morning living and active. That you, God, would have and take all the authority that is rightly yours to help us hear you and see you. It is through Jesus, Lord, that you are reconciling all people to yourself. And I pray, God, that that would be true for us this morning. That we would be reconciled to you, Lord, where we are in need of reconciliation. That our hearts would be drawn to you. That we would be challenged and encouraged as needed. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. So throughout the Easter season, uh, we've been reading through these early chapters of Acts talking about how the Holy Spirit came as a result of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which to like sum it all up throughout Easter, therefore, then our message on repeat has been we have the Holy Spirit and the church is a thing because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So throughout Easter, we're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and the rise of the birth of the church, the church coming into existence um, As a result of the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the the Spirit. Uh, Chris preached last week. What a brilliant job he did. We're so thankful um, for him and his voice. And he was here uh, to tell you the story, um, sort of sadly, about the stoning of Stephen, which is a tough text to be assigned on your first sermon um, at a new place. It's a tragic story. Stephen, of course, was our first Christian martyr. And um, he's stoned to death for his faith. And Chris rightly points out that it's the work of the Holy Spirit in him and through him that allows him to forgive his murderers as he's being stoned to death. In the same way, of course, that Jesus had also forgiven his murderers as he was being crucified. And here's, here's the thing that I feel like really needs to be underscored. Um, I think even Chris mentioned he quoted Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers, who so famously uh, quipped, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. And, like, there's a sense in which that has real tr- is true, has real truth in it. Um, but I feel impressed upon, I think, by the Lord maybe to be reminded myself and also for you, you know, as we here at Christ the King in particular are trying to figure out together what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a new community that's coming together in 2023 to try to, like, follow Jesus, you know, and encourage each other? I need to be reminded that as heroic and inspiring and powerful as the deaths of those early Christians were in the first century— In fact, it is and has always been the work of the Holy Spirit through their lives, through them, that gave rise to the church. You know what I mean? In other words, the church wasn't born out of the deaths of heroes because they were martyred or persecuted. The Holy Holy Spirit, in and through the lives of real people, in any given set of circumstances, is who causes the church to be born to rise, to come together, to be a thing. Uh, And that feels important to remember because, of course, our circumstances are so different from those of Stephen or the early church even, or for Paul in ancient Athens. This world is so different from theirs, and yet we cannot forget that same spirit who worked through the life of Stephen to cause him to extend forgiveness to his murderers the same spirit who worked through the life of Peter when he was like having praying on his roof, just like you pray on your roof. I'm kidding, you don't pray on your roof, but you know, wherever you pray. When you pray, that same spirit who was with Peter is with you. And the Holy Spirit said to Peter, Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius' house. Also eat pork, praise God. Another reason to pray. What if we had missed bacon? I mean, I'm just saying... Do you know? Like, if ever you're in need of hearing a word from the Lord, you just there are all kinds of reasons to pray. But we almost, we could have missed pork, y'all, if Peter hadn't been paying attention, is what I'm saying. People of God need to be praying. You just never know what he might say, what new thing he might want to do. And he told Peter, Go meet your brother, Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He wants to be baptized. You should go. That same spirit led Paul through the streets of Athens, pointing out all of their idols and altars and whispered into the ears of Paul, Paul, go preach the gospel. Where? At the Areopagus. An unlikely place to preach the gospel. That same spirit, all that to say, we must hold on to a strong conviction that it is him who lives with me now and works through my life and is with me when I pray and when I walk these streets and when I go to the homes of people now. That same spirit. Same resurrection. Same spirit. So, I'm underscoring this for a number of reasons, but one is just you never know what new thing God might want to do, you know, in you personally or um, in any of us. Paul. Paul had been through a lot at this point. Had his life changed dramatically by his encounter with Jesus. And now he finds himself all the way in Athens, a very long way from home. And I have never been to Athens, but even if you were to go now, it's not the Athens it was in the first century. Um, A pagan place, a religious place, to use Paul's language. And um, we can't recreate those same circumstances, obviously. I just um, either how pagan a place feels or what it would have been like to have been in ancient Athens, all that, you know, beyond in some ways the scope of our imagination. And yet I do suspect that even here and now, that if we were to like in our imaginations try to think of it this way, imagine Paul walking through a sort of idol-laden landscape in ancient Greece, altars and shrines dedicated to all kinds of gods, that we could do a similar exercise. That in your imagination, if you were to imagine these United States, not just here in northwest Arkansas, but our country from coast to coast, to think of it as a kind of idol-laden landscape, shrines dedicated all over the place to gods with a little g. I, I don't know if it feels this way to you, if any of you have this experience. I I don't know. But, and some of you do, because we've talked about it. Sometimes in being here and in being in other places, um, it feels almost haunted by so many different stories and versions of Jesus in particular, but just of like gods with a lower case g. That our, our country, and this is true of humans in so many places, but is like God-haunted, You know, like everywhere you go, there are shrines dedicated to one version or vision of God or another. And sometimes that feels especially true even in places like Northwest Arkansas. Because there have been so many different kinds, brands, if you will, of what it means to be Christian. So many things done and built in his name. It can be hard to be here and kind of know anymore what does it even really mean to be a follower of Jesus, to call yourself Christian, in light of all of those, like, ghosts, you know? Those stories, those shrines dedicated to him. So if you were, like, in your imagination, not just northwest Arkansas, but imagine our country. If you were to walk through it sort of in in the same way that Paul walked through Athens, You would see shrines dedicated to the gods of money and sex and war. You would see shrines devoted to Christian nationalism, shrines memorializing church sanctioned slavery. You could see on your phones Instagram shrines dedicated to celebrity pastors and their shoes. Shrines dedicated to big church evangelicalism. Shrines dedicated to so-called progressive Christianity. And to a Jesus that nobody really believes in. And I imagine if Paul were here, and he were to walk through our land in the same way that he walked through Athens, it doesn't take a great Leap or stretch of imagination to imagine that at the end of all of it, Paul might say something to us similar to he, he said to the ancient Athenians Wow, I see how extremely religious you are in every way with all of your many gods. So many gods, so much idolatry. You know what's fascinating about the Areopagus is that um, it's the hill of Ares is the place in ancient Greece dedicated to um, the sort of, like, trial of the gods. Ares was brought to trial, put on trial by the other gods. And so, in other words, it's where the um, aristocracy would go to debate ideas. And I don't know... um, if you, read, if you were to back up in Acts 17, there's this verse that I really love. One of my favorite things Luke ever says in uh, this tucked away parenthetical in, in Acts 17, uh, Luke reminds us, he was like, they were at the Areopagus where they loved to exchange new ideas. That's why they invited Paul there. And he's like, you know those ancient Athenians. All they do is sit around and talk about new philosophies all day long, you know. But that was the Areopagus. That was the culture there. It was like the aristocrats would all get together, and they would, like, love to hear new ideas. And that's why they invited Paul to come They had heard that Paul was like spreading this newfangled, you know, religion, this new idea about this new God. And so they wanted to come and hear more. And I don't know if that stokes envy in you, um, but it does in me a little bit. You mean people just wanted you to come and talk about Jesus? It's incredible. What must that, what freedom, you know? What would it be like to be invited to come to a place where people were serious-minded enough and wanted to, like, contend with the idea of resurrection? Seriously. I long for those spaces. And if you've ever been a Christian and long for those spaces, I get it. I get that envy. We feel like we live so much in a world that is, again, God-haunted. And in particular, in this corner of the world, Jesus-haunted, Christianity-haunted. And that makes it tough. Humans are by nature religious. We are meaning makers and truth seekers. We always have been. Uh, Eugene Peterson said of humans, we are idol-making factories. Meaning our tendency and instinct is to make God, the idea of God anyway, small. And, you know, that's not even entirely bad. Our instinct is to make God conceivable Um, Where it gets tricky is when, in making God conceivable, we make God a lot like us, you know? And that's the idolatry part. But what I love about the story in Acts is that while Paul was walking through this idol-laden landscape, you know, himself a devout Jew, before he met Jesus, you know, it's like you don't wash all the Pharisee off in one instance or even like three months or three years, There's still a tiny Pharisee tucked away in there, in Saul's heart, who became Paul. And I know that ancient Athens had to be a hard place for him to walk. And so he's walking through the streets of Athens, feeling no doubt discouraged and overwhelmed, looking at all of these shrines, to all of these different visions and versions of God. And you know that for Paul that had to feel overwhelming. How could a people with such cluttered imaginations who've been so disappointed by even the concept of God, how could they ever come to faith? How could they know Jesus? I don't know that's what he thought, but I know that's what I've thought. How in 2023 in a place like Northwest Arkansas with so much trauma, so much wounding, so much frustration, so many X this and X that, Politically divided, spiritually tormented, how can we still lift up the name of Jesus and have something to say that's new, that people could hear and hope for and want? Idol after idol, Paul walks past them and all of a sudden he comes to this altar that was dedicated to an unknown God. And I like to think, I don't know that it happened exactly this way, but at that moment, as he stood in front of that altar, dedicated to an unknown God, the Holy Spirit whispered in his ear, Oh, Paul, see how they search for me. They're looking for me. You go tell them. You go tell them. And I want you to know that I believe That that same Spirit who spoke to the ear of Paul and compelled him without reservation to go and in a place full of like Greek aristocracy proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that same Spirit lives in you and with me. And as we walk through our idol-laden landscape, particularly if we are really frustrated and discouraged if you turn on the news and after 30 seconds you feel less a Christian than you did before you sat down and turned the news on, that same spirit moves through these hills and through this country and through this world, searching and seeking out those who are looking for him. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And his heart is good, y'all. His heart is for those of us who feel farthest away, who feel most discouraged. Particularly, for, probably, for those of us who feel like we are separated by distorted visions and versions of God. I think he's a redeemer with a redemptive imagination, and that's what he wants to do. Redeem our hearts, our imaginations, and our experience of him. Here's what happened. Somebody somewhere in ancient Athens, and this blesses me, they were building all the, all the idols, all the shrines. And then somebody was like, you know, just in case we missed one. You know? Just in case the heavens could still do something more than we have been able to imagine or hope for. Just on the chance that that is possible, let's carve out some space and dedicate it to that hope. And so here's what I'm asking for you to do, particularly for those of you who feel discouraged or frustrated. What if you could, in your own heart and imagination, carve out some space for the heavens to do something that you have not yet begun to imagine or hope for? What if that same God who announced himself to ancient Athens could announce himself to you or to our neighbors, you know, and do something new that we've not yet imagined or known? I think that's the hope that we're called to try to dare to believe in. If I could carve out space in my life for God, (laughs) for maybe a God I've never known I've never encountered, even though I've heard the name of Jesus my whole life. If I could create space just for what I don't yet know, maybe God would show up. Maybe he would. I've noticed since moving back here, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm a little bit triggered by Christians in coffee shops. And I... I don't know exactly what that word means, and I don't mean to use it lightly because I know being triggered is a real thing. I'm just not sure that's not what I actually am. And it's not because I have anything against Christians in coffee shops. But I see a Bible open in a coffee shop, and I feel something that is not blessing. (laughs) And I'm not proud of it. I say it only because if that's you and where you are, And you want to have an imagination for the God of resurrection. The kind of God who would go and stand in the Areopagus in ancient Greece and announce himself as the God of God who made all things, through whom all things were made and by whom all things exist. If you long for a God who is that big and that good, then that is who we have in Jesus. And all of the rest of it is us groping and trying and making little idols that we can conceive and understand. And it's not always bad. Sometimes it's bad, but it's not always bad. Sometimes it's just in part, you know? It's just the best we could do. Amen. A living God. The creator of the universe whose heart is good and kind. You know, the, I, a couple of years ago, and I'll, I'll end at some point. I promise I'll end here. But a couple of years ago, I was working with a team in Atlanta in my former church. And we were going to get together a task force within our church um, to try to begin to understand and sort through the impacts and the history of racism in our church. And we all had convened together. And we were trying to answer the question, "Why? Why do this work?" And people were saying things, going around in circles. Everybody, of course, it's like you can't exactly look at all of these success stories and be well-like, because obviously this is easy and it works, you know, always. So we're going around and one of the black women in our church, "I will never forget it as long as I live." She sat very still and closed her eyes, and then when she opened them, she had tears running down her cheeks, and she said, because it's his heart. We do this work because it's his heart. And in, like, less than five seconds, she had answered for me why it is that I am still motivated to strive and work for and hope for the gospel, even after all of our failed attempts, even after all of this, because it's his heart, and his heart is good. His heart has always been to seek after and save the lost, even me. And so if he will, then I will, because he's good. It's his heart. So I would commend to you and exhort you, just carve out some space to hope, for who he might yet still be for you. And watch what he does. Holy Spirit, our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to do what we cannot do in our own strength, that you would come and make space, Lord, in our imaginations, our minds, our souls. You would carve out place for yourself, Lord, that you would, as Paul did, preach the gospel. You would preach the gospel there, Lord. Help us to hear Jesus, to see him, Lord, as he is, as you are. Help us now, Jesus, to pray, to do the good work of your church, to put our idols aside and all the memories of them, Lord, and look forward and look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.